Footballers' Lives with Richard Lenton is brought to you by the Phoenix Sport and Media Group. Hello everyone, thanks for joining me once again on Footballers' Lives. Huge thanks for the feedback on the shows we've done so far. Quite a few of you really enjoyed hearing about Danny Murphy's transition into the match of the day studio. Some great behind-the-scenes insights there into a show that is, of course, a national institution. Plenty of you picked up on what Brian Dean was saying about the lack of opportunities he got in management. Absolutely scandalous, particularly after that successful spelling Norway when he really earned his stripes. And people have also been asking me about fishing tips after speaking to Sean Davis, but I really can't help you with that, I'm afraid. And you won't find Sean on social media anytime soon to ask him, so you'll have to find some YouTube videos or maybe watch Bruno Brooks's tight lines on Sky Sports if that's still around. I can't imagine it is, maybe on Challenge TV. You never know. This week it's all about Tommy Johnson, who rose through the divisions with Knox County under Neil Warnock, went to Wembley with Derby County and Aston Villa, and who went on to win the treble at Celtic before transitioning into scouting and recruitment. This is Footballers Lives with Tommy Johnson. What are you up to now anyway? Are you back at work or are you furloughed or what's the situation? I've never stopped, Richard. I'm at Blackpool, head of recruitment, so well, I've just been liaising with agents. I've just finished watching a player on the on the laptop now, so I'm uh, just watching a couple of games a day and trying to get players in, trying to get players out. Uh, so just carried on as normal. Got quite a decent recruitment team for League One, you know. There's me, there's a technical scout. We've got a few scouts who watch games as well on the laptop. We've got a... Uh, stats and analysts so it's uh yeah we've been full on so how did you end up getting into this kind of role then because when you retired you kind of left the game for about 18 months didn't you to enjoy yeah. yourself no doubt so you, you came back in was it was it at Notts County you came back in initially in this type of role yeah, don't worry I was kit man it was brilliant me uh the lad who come in Charlie McFarland and Dave Kevin, I was at Knotts as kids when they were there, when they were pros, and I used to clean Charlie's boots. And as you said, when I retired, it was a case of silly things, taking the girls to school, picking them up, going on holiday whenever you could, because you could only go in May and June. You know, I wanted to go skiing. We went skiing at Christmas. So I had 18 months out, aye, and it was a case of then, Get you said, better start doing something, you know. What I mean, you can't be like this for the rest of your life, start getting bored. Uh, Charlie and Dave rang us up and I went and seen them. And they says, We haven't got a kit, man. Will you do it as well as help them with the coach? No, no problem. So it was, uh, yeah, it was great. And then I started doing my badges, I'd done all my badges, qualified B license, A license, pro license, and uh. When I left Knotts, Sven Goran Eriksson was at Knotts with Todd Grip, you know, when all that Munto finance. And when Sven went to Leicester, went down and seen him, and he says, Do you just want to start doing some scouting for us? And it just scouting took off from them, Richard. So that's about nine, ten years ago now. And I've just worked my way up. And, you know, I was European scout at Cardiff, which was brilliant. I was in Spain probably nearly every weekend, just watching games. Uh, the Northern Ireland stuff. I'd done my badges in Northern Ireland, so I started scouting for them as well and started doing a bit of tutoring. So I do 
I'm like a tutor for B license and A license as well. And I'm in fact over in a couple of weeks because the course has got cancelled in June. So I'm there in the middle of August for a couple of weeks doing B and A license. So yeah, probably busier than ever. I mean, you obviously still love the game and talk me through the process. I, I remember when um, I think you scouted Gary Medell at Cardiff, didn't you? So how does the process work? At the time, it was Malky Mackay was manager. Yeah. In that case, does he say he needs a player in a certain position and you go from there? Or do you happen to see certain players who you like and then go back to him? Well, with uh, when I went to work with Cardiff with Malky and Ian Moody, and Mark Storr was the chief scout. It was a case of, it was, they didn't have any European stuff and they just got into the Premier League. So that's when I was started. Uh, I think Gary had been flagged up through the analyst. And I think one of my first games was to go over and go and watch him. And, you know, he was a Chilean international, you know, playing for Seville in Spain. You're probably thinking Cardiff, little Cardiff, just getting into the Premier League, got no chance. I watched him, done my report, spoke to Malky and Moods and Story and went, yeah, you know, and then it just snowballed from there. He liked the idea of what Cardiff were doing, the training ground and just getting the Premier League, we're going to spend money and all that. And he wanted to play in England. So, and the rest is history. We had a season in the Premier League and then got relegated and then Gary went on to Inter Milan. So, I think everyone was really surprised when we got him. I think probably deep down we were, but you know, at the time Cardiff were were going to go for it and to spend money and try and give him a platform. I think you know they, he's probably thinking, um, if I do well here, I'm going to get another move, and effectively he did. Yeah. How often would you watch a player normally then? Because you know we can all have worldies one day, but yeah. how often would you would you watch a player to make that decision? And then is there a case of finding out what kind of character he is, or from your point of view, it's all about what he can do on the pitch? Definitely. Uh, the due diligence that goes into players nowadays is frightening. It is the background stuff, family. What's he like? Is he married? Has he got kids? Does he live in the towns? Does he live in a city centre? Stuff, things like that. Does he live out in the country? Can he drive? And if he's foreign, is he? does he speak English? Can he adapt to coming to live in England? Speaking to people who you trust in the game and managers and players I've played with. And you just do so much. Now, Richard, it's frightening. Because he can be the best player in the world and have an absolute stinking attitude. And you don't, and he's not good in the dressing room. So you wouldn't have many, no matter how good he is, you wouldn't have him in the dressing room. No. Uh, playing wise, Gary Medell was, you know, that it would, we had to do that one quick. So you've got to go, yes, is, would he, is he basically, when I'm looking at the player, is he be, does he fit into the way that the manager wants to play? Is he, is he better than the players we've already got? Is he different to the players who have got? What can he bring to the team? So you've got to be thinking all that while you're watching a player. And it was, and the decision was, yes, we've got a, you know, and we had to be quick on that one. Otherwise, we weren't, we weren't going to get him because yeah. he'd go somewhere else or he'd stay at Seville. And if you've got a lot of time, which we we have now at the minute because of lockdown, you're watching players on video and it's not the same. You know, you can get the wide angle of all the players on the pitch and all that. But when I'm going to a live game, I want to go and watch him in the warm-up, see what he's like in the warm-up, see what his attitude's like. You know, most of the time, you never watch a ball when you're watching a player. If I'm watching a centre-half, 
and the ball's up the other end of the pitch. I'm watching what he's doing when he when he's not involved. Is he picking his nose? Is you know, is he scratching his head? Is he organising? Is he getting players round? And mm. so it's uh, it's difficult at the minute because we're probably signing well, or trying to sign players, and you haven't seen him play mm. live. It's yeah. very difficult, and I know every club's in that same position at the minute, but it's uh, it's very difficult. I'm I'm uh, you know I'm obviously. A, I think I'm probably an in-between of being old school and new school with all the analysts and data and all that, you know. I can adapt to both because I've been in both, shall I say. Mm. But deep down, I need to watch players. I need to see them live, you know. Mm. It's, uh, I think it's imperative. But it's, at the minute, it's it's not possible. Well, that was my next question, actually. I was going to ask how much notice do you take of data when you're looking at players? And is that the main change you've seen over the years in recruitment-type roles? Definitely, yeah. We've done a little bit of Cardiff, a little bit of Blackburn. Uh, to be fair, our owner, Simon Sadler, he's different class. His, 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 uh, his work he's involved in is hedge funds and number stats and data, number crunching and all that. So he gets it anyway. So we've got a stats data analyst who's, who's in full time and going down, say, the Brentford model of, mm. of identifying players who uh, who, uh, who have got up higher on the stats. So if it's going to help identify players, not necessarily recruit them, but just help identify them, it's a bonus. Yeah. And, you know, and there's so many different things now, you know, your contacts, your networking, you know, agents uh, and stats and data, which is huge now, huge now. Have you had any stinkers where you've got it wrong and really got it in the neck? No, I get it wrong all the time. <laughs> Yeah, what can, my, I don't sign the players, Richard. I recommend them. And yeah, there's, def, there's been in the past recommending players and the manager hasn't signed them, which is not a problem. At the end of the day, he's, that's a decision maker and vice versa. There's players I've said, no, I'm not so, I'm not so sure about this. And then the manager signed them. At the end of the day, that's what they appear to do. My job is, and me and me scouts in the recruitment side, is to recommend the players, give them a list who we think who's going to benefit the football club. At the end of the day, it's up to them whether they're going to sign them or not. Let's go back to a more simple time, Tommy. The start of your kind of football journey. Gateshead born and bred. Was there never an opportunity to start your footballing journey with a team in the northeast, rather in the Midlands with Knox County? Well, I'm going to correct you first, mate. You've probably been on Wikipedia because I was born in Newcastle, so that's the first and foremost. <laughs> <laughs> so Wikipedia needs to change because I know everybody goes on it. And if you're born in Gator, you're not a proper Geordie. So clubs, I was playing for my school and district county scouts come and watched us. Uh, I went to Notts County so just before my 14th birthday on trial and loved it. Didn't want to, you know, from the first moment, family club, I absolutely loved it. And then, yeah, Newcastle were in for us. I went for trials over there. They wanted to sign me apprentice and everybody, including the family, were going, you know, obviously it's a no-brainer, isn't it? You're going to Newcastle, who you support, you're living at home. I didn't say it like that, you know, I wanted to... I came to Notts County and I absolutely loved it. You know, the the whole club was great. They were in the lower division than uh, 
in Newcastle in the old League League One as it is now. I just felt, you know, I was playing reserve team football at 15, you know, 16 and playing against men all the time. And I just felt I wanted to start my career there. If I started alone, I could work my way up, you know. I said, I think Newcastle were in the championship at the time. There would have been a lot of pressure on us up there, no doubt about it. And I just felt I wanted to get away. Not, I just wanted to see life away from Newcastle, you know, and whether I was mature for me age or whatever I just thought if I don't if I don't make it down here or I don't like it down here I could always go back home and that was my thought process and Notts County it was it was class I loved it yeah I mean that's character building at, at such a young age as well and it's interesting how you kind of you know you didn't go down the Newcastle route being a Newcastle fan because the early 80s in particular must have been amazing times to be a Newcastle supporter with Kevin Keegan coming in Terry McDermott Chrissy Waddle and Peter Beardsley coming through so were you going to games as a kid and any special memories from those times? Brilliant. I was Keegan's first game against QPR. It was uh, in Arthur Cox, who was manager at the time who signed him, signed me for Derby, you know, later on. So I'd always had this like affinity with Arthur because he managed my club. And as you mentioned, the players, yeah, like I loved Waddle, you know, I was like him, scrawny, you know, left footed, can play on the wing. And I loved Waddle, you know, so as you've just mentioned, all the players there, you know, Kevin Keegan, Peter Beardsley, Gaza was playing, uh, Chris Waddle, Terry Mack, who I worked with when I was at Celtic, you know, he was assistant manager. So, yeah, uh, as I mentioned before, it was a difficult decision, but in my heart of hearts, I knew I was making the right one, you know, that was, and as I said, if I didn't like it away from home and I didn't, I wasn't enjoying me football down here I could easily go back I'm still living here so <laughs> must be some place <laughs> <laughs> how quickly did you graduate into the first team what sort of age were you yeah 17 I think I made my debut and uh, from from 18 being a regular you know uh I think me and Mark, Mark started with Mark Draper. We grew up together and started an apprenticeship together. Drapes got in before me, early doors. And from 18, yeah, playing regular. Mm. So we always amongst the first, I think the first year, you know, we used to obviously train with the youth team and all that at first. But then, you know, when the numbers were short, you, you join them with the first team. And I think I went down to South End one Friday night. Uh, I was sub, never got on, got back home at say three, four o'clock in the morning, then had to be up Saturday morning to play for the youth team. So after carrying the skips and all that as well, putting the boots away. But uh, that just made you, it give you life skills, Richard. Do you know yeah. what I mean? You know, and we were doing jobs all the time, still as apprentices, you know, cleaning boots and doing how I looked after the physios room and all that. So just give you life skills. And yeah, from about eighteen onwards, that was it. You were you were in and about in and about the first team, and mm. you know, fortunately for us, you know, we had two Wembley appearances by the time I was twenty or something like that. Yeah, and you did all you did all right in them as well. I mean, you went on a on a journey, didn't you, with a certain Neil Warnock? He came in towards the end of nineteen eighty eight young, hungry manager. I remember meeting him about a year before. He was manager of Scarborough, and I was a kid watching Scunthorpe United, another one of your 
former clubs and you know I had a chat with him afterwards I was only about 12 and I, you could see the kind of enthusiasm for the game coming off him but what were your first impressions of him? He was sound man management you know he's probably up there with one of the best that I've worked with he, he come in as no one had known him no one, he, I just mentioned Richard he was at Scarborough and he brought he brought players in who he got the best out of you know, made some astute signings. You know, he brought Shorty down from Scarborough when he first started Craig, where he was a right winger. You know, the gaffer, made, God knows how. <laughs> and the gaffer made him into a centre-half, you know, he was playing centre-half. We had a good team and, well, yes, we we got the ball into the opposition's half quickly, shall we say, but we could play. That was the thing. And the thing with what he gave me was, he, he used to say to me, you don't know what you're doing, so I don't know what you're doing. So just go and have a, basically have a free role. You know, we used to play three up front and he used to just say, go on, do, do what you want, really. <laughs> so he was great for me. And, you know, he signed me late, years later at Chef United. You know, we still speak and you know what he's done in a game. Mm. I think he's not far off 1,500 games now. And uh, if you want a team, you want a manager who's going to get you out of trouble or to get you promotion in the championship. There's no one better. No oh, one better. And he's in his 70s now. And every time he goes to a new club, he says, right, that's it. This is my final challenge. And he said that in about his last six clubs. He can't walk away, can he? He's frightening. You know, I think he went to Rotherham a few years ago. And they were, they were really, really struggling. And probably one of the lowest budgets in the league. And now we got them to avoid relegation. That's a gaffer and, and players who have played for him and know him. That it was it was no surprise. And he took you to that third division playoff final at the old Wembley against Tranmere. You chipped in with a goal. I imagine that was a huge moment for a teenager and who's just like like you said, playing with complete freedom. There's no pressure on you. You know I'm 18, 19. You know, we had a good squad of mixture. There was me and Drapes Shorty had come in, Dean Yates was young. You know, and then we had elder statesmen like Charlie Palmer, you know. Uh, and no one expected us to do anything. We, you know, we, the gaffer was so astute. We'd we done, done a Zoom with him within Shorty because it's 30 years ago since we beat Tramia. And he, he took us down the week before because Tramia were playing in the Sherpa Van Trophy final at Wembley. So he was, right, we're going down just to have a look at it, have a look at the pitch, see the atmosphere and all that. Because he was very, very astute. So we went down and watched the game. We just think, oh, we're just going down to watch the game. In the back of our minds, he's getting us accustomed to what, we'll go, what was going to happen a week later. Mm. You know, we beat Tramia, got up into the championship as it is now. And no one, as again, no one expected us to do anything. And got into the playoffs again, you know, and the same thing happened. <laughs> well, yeah, 12 months later, yeah. Back to Wembley, you beat Brighton place where I'm living now, to win promotion to the old first division, what's now the Premier League. You scored twice in a 3-1 win over, over the Albion. And I texted you, didn't I? I remember I was watching it on YouTube and Kevin Keegan, your old hero, was on commentary saying, do you know what? I'm not sure Tommy Johnson is a natural finisher. And then a minute later, bang, you're in. I, I used to always miss the easy chances, Richard. You know what I mean? It was, it was frightening at that. I think the gaffer said early doors. I am. I didn't have any backlift. You know, when we left foot, he said it was all short backlift and then follow through. So no one expected 
meters, like the goalies didn't expect the ball to come so quick or whatever, you know. And I think, uh, was it, oh, I can't even remember that Brighton goals. What was it? I think there was a one, there was a left foot from this, from the left hand side in the second half. And it wasn't, it was like, there's no, you can see there's no back lift. And I think they just didn't expect it. But yeah, I always miss the easy ones. That was me. I don't know why, but uh, I probably could have got a hell of a lot more goals. But yeah, it was a great feeling. Absolutely. You know, you're going into the Premier League now, you know, two, uh, you know, two years playoffs. You think this is easy. This is going to happen every year. <laughs> We should. We got a rude awakening in because in the first game we played Man U away, yeah. and the Premier League got absolutely battered. I think I touched the ball about three times. I think Mark Hughes and Brian Robson scored, but uh, that was the that was the rude awakening I think we needed. But absolutely, no great great years at Notts County. A couple of our mutual friends, Craig Shaw and Brian Dean, have talked about this before. Craig said he suffered from imposter syndrome when he was a player. Brian said he suffered horrendously from a fear of failure. But you going into what is now the Premier League as a 20-year-old, have you got any of that yet? Or are you still just an no. excited boy, you know? No, just enjoying life. You know, we just, you're doing something you love. What you, you, as a kid growing up, playing, playing football in the streets, in the garages, you know, in the fields. And then by 20, you've won two promotions. You know, I'm playing for England under 21s. Doesn't get any better, does it? Oh, God. Yeah. You just think you're on this crest of a wave. And it, and it was, yeah. Definitely. I think you quickly encountered a certain Stuart Pearce in your time at Notts County, didn't you? What was he like as an opponent? <laughs> yeah, I think, oh, I've always said he's probably one of the, he is one of the most difficult opponents I've played against. It. Uh, remember with, we were playing Forest, and I used to always start on the right. You know, there was three up front and we had the main man up front, whether it be Dave Regis, Phil Turner, and then we'd have another two either side. So I used to always start on the right, but, and then see how I could get at the full back and all that. And then I remember playing against Forrest and Pierce, he just absolutely launched me in the first couple of minutes. So I was like that with whoever was on the other side, Kevin Bartlett or Phil Turner or whatever. I think we need a swap now, come on. <laughs> so, but yeah, he's... Uh, Oh, he was hard, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you get away with much nowadays, the way the football is now, but uh, uh, you knew where you stood with him, I. Yeah, good yeah. battle. Any tougher opponents than Stuart? I played with one, uh, Paul McGrath. You know, not as tough as in mentally tough. You know, uh, didn't obviously tackle like Stuart, but... Uh, yeah, he read the game so well for someone who never trained, mm. you know, and he'd just come on. on a, it's like flicking on a light switch. He'd just turn up and, you know, I think just went on the bike during the week. And then Friday, come out and joined us with a warm-up and set pieces and a little fire aside. And then it'd be like a Rolls Royce on a Saturday. Unbelievable. Yeah. How him and Ledley King managed to do it, I, I do not know. And... You know what both of them could have done with better knees is uh, is pretty scary, but along those similar lines, what could Neil Warnock have done at Chelsea because they came in for him yeah. at that kind of time? Did you tell him he was mad for not going? Well, <laughs> probably now, but then again, after what he'd done in his career, I don't know. We were in, we'd got promotion, and the old chairman Derek Pierce, 
had a place out there. So in up to both promotions, we went over to Spain for a week. So we'd gone over and there'd been loads of rumors about the gaffer going. And he more or less said, I think, like, I'm off. That's me. Uh, couldn't turn the offer down and all that and the chance to manage a big club and all that. And then whatever happened, he just had a change of heart or... I don't know the full ins and outs. Gaffer will probably tell you if you ever speak to him again. But uh, he changed his mind and, and stayed with us. Mm. Yeah, he must have been mad, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> but he obviously did a hell of a lot for you and developed you as a player. I remember seeing a YouTube video where a, a fresh-faced Tommy Johnson and Mark Draper are talking to him. And it, Neil's even holding the camera and doing the interviews. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah, someone sent us it a few weeks ago. And I'm like, God, look at state of us and me and Drip. God, we look like two frightened school kids had done something wrong with the headmaster. Never mind. Never mind. But at that time, you you got some England under-21 recognition. Who was playing in the in the 21s at the time with you? Oh, dear. David James. Uh, oh, Alan Shearer, Kevin Campbell, Lee Sharp. David Lee, oh, Graham Stewart, Paul Williams at Derby, me, myself and Drips, you know, we had a, uh, Steve McManaman, yeah, we had a, we had, we had a good team actually, yeah, uh, you know, I was in the squad a few times and sub a few times and didn't got on and I, I think in the end I made about seven appearances, yeah, so, mm. yeah, uh, for a club like coming from Notts County at the time, you know, uh, for me and Drips, to get recognition, yeah, was uh, obviously the how well the club was doing as yeah. well. And that also elevates you to a certain status for potential clubs coming in for you. So why did you go to Derby at that time? And how did that move come about? Yeah, we were struggling in the Premier League at the time. Uh, near the bottom, I was, I was doing all right, you know, and then uh, hit a bit of a... Gaffer done well, actually. He let he, he just give us a break. He says, just go on for a couple of weeks at some stage, you know, whether I was finding it too tough or what. He just thought, go on, get yourself away. I come back, rejuvenated, played. And then we were struggling uh, big time, you know, and it looked like when the end, they did get uh, relegated. There had been rumours of a few clubs had been in for us uh, in the Premier League. And then, uh, and then Derby come in for us and... You know, I, well, I was 21, Nottingham to Derby, 20 minutes. You know, I could still live in Nottingham. Uh, they were in the championship at the time and the owner was spending a lot of money. I just felt this, it was like a progression for me. I, I, I felt at the time I would have been able to cope with the Premier League at the time. I, I, I don't, well, looking back, probably yes. But at the time, you know, I was 21 and I just thought, no, I'm... I went and met uh, the gaffer, Arthur Cox, sat down with him, had a chat and, and I thought, yeah, I'm, I like I like what they're doing here, mm. buying a lot of young players and, you know, to progress and to get, and obviously the main aim was to get into the to the Premier League. And it didn't happen, but mm. I just felt at that stage in my career, if I'd gone to the Premier League, I thought, I felt it would have been too early for us. Yeah, it was a really mature decision to trying to take a step back to maybe progress because Derby did spend a lot of money that summer. I think it was £12 million. Yeah. There were, were favourites for promotion about three years yeah. in a row, but it didn't quite happen, did it? Why did it not quite happen? Why couldn't you get them up? I don't know. We 
we played Leicester in the playoff final. We were absolutely flying. You know, I think we won the last seven or eight games and favourites. And Leicester done a job on us. One game, Brian Little was manager of Leicester at the time. And they just boomed it. They played all the big lads, Steve Walsh, Ewan Roberts. Oh, and the and they had to do what they did on the day. You know, we I scored early doors. Couple of hawks, he missed a chance. I missed another chance, and they'd done a job on us, and that was it. You know, uh, inevitably, six months later, the man who's manager of Leicester and got them promoted and goes to Aston Villa and then signs us. You know, <laughs> so I think looking at the, our team, we all went on to Premier League clubs. You know, Paul Williams, Shorty, Paul Kitson, Mark Pembridge. Uh, Gary Charles, you know, we all went on to Premier League clubs. I think we were probably better equipped to playing in the Premier League than we were in the Championship. I don't know if that sounds daft, but that with the players that we had. Uh, it no, was... that's a fair... No, I like... Yeah, it's an interesting point that I spoke to Sean Davis about this. He said, because he went all through the divisions with Fulham and he said, mm. all of a sudden he got in the Premier League and he couldn't believe how much time he had on the ball. Yeah, I believe. I, I honestly believe. I think more and more about it that we probably were more well equipped for the Premier League. It just wasn't a B. That was my worst moment on a football pitch after that Leicester game. Mm. You know, because you sense, and then I, I had a year left of my contract, and you sense, and as you mentioned, we spent twelve, thirteen million and hadn't done it. Mm. Uh, Arthur had gone and Roy had taken over. There was speculation whether Roy would keep his job and all that. He did. And you're just thinking, is this is this going to be the end of it now, you know? Mm. And then well, we didn't want it to be, but inevitably the uh, lineup Pickman wasn't putting in so much money. You know, he'd had to go for the two or three years and it hadn't happened. But then, like you say, Brian Little had seen something in you, obviously, in that playoff final because he's brought you in at Aston Villa. He'd taken over from Ron Atkinson. Uh, so that was an interesting period because he was developing a new team, wasn't he? What sort of dressing room did you walk into? Oh, starstruck. 24, I was. Me and Gary Charles. There'd been rumours that Villa had been in for us and... We'd found out there were true. There was a couple of other clubs as well. Then walked into the dressing room and you're looking around and you're going, Andy Townsend, Paul McGrath, Steve Staunton, Nigel Spink, European Cup winner, Kevin Richardson, Ray Houghton, Darian Atkinson, Dean Saunders. Wow. Was there a senior player who ran the dressing room or was it just a collective? Because there's lots of experience and lots of character there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the... You would say probably Towner, Andy Townsend, Stan, Stone, all of them had a mixture. You know, they were very, very experienced. They'd won the cup two years before then, a big run. And it was a, a very experienced, not daunting dressing room, but you just, you know, you're walking in and then you're thinking, oh, this is it now. You know, whatever's happened before has just got out the window. You've got a You've got to prove yourself now, you know, you're a Premier, massive Premier League club and you're playing with all these all these internationals. Yeah. Uh, mixed in with the youngsters like Hugo, God, God bless, and Dwight York and Bozzy in goal. Mm. You know. Uh, Did you notice a different intensity and a different level in training straight away and what you yeah, were doing? Definitely, yeah. Yeah, everything had to be, you know, 
I like a laugh and a joke at the right time. But uh, even in training, you know, sometimes I'll be laughing, and, but you knew we had to be right on it. Mm. Yeah. You know, and that's why they're international players, Richard. Yeah. You know, because it's that decision, split decision making. Uh, but yeah, you, you'd really, it took me a while to settle, I must admit. Definitely. Just because you had to get up to that kind of level. Because, like you say, you were, free, you were pretty much a free spirit before. So are you almost learning certain things about the game to be at that next level? Definitely, yeah. Uh, as I said at Notts, I was a free spirit, definitely. Hmm. Derby, I started playing the gap. We played four four two. I was playing on the right wing. I was playing on the left wing. It wasn't until halfway through, you know, the last year, I played up front, hmm. you know, which is where I wanted to play. Uh, when I signed for Villa, I'm speaking to the gaffer before, and he says, I want you to play. I, I, you remind me of Steve McManaman. I want you to play as a bit of a free role merchant, you know, and, you know, go. And I was like, thinking, no, I'm a centre forward. I want to score goals, you know what I mean? And I remember one of my first few games uh, was QPR in the Cup, and the gaffer brought us in on the morning because we trained on the morning of the game. And the gaffer brought us in, he says, right, I want you to play more deeper and as a number 10 and just go wherever you want, you know? And I, and I started arguing with him. He says, well, no, I'm a centre forward. He says, I'm a centre forward. I says, I want to play up front and score with him. He said, I presume that's why you brought me here. And, and, and the gaffer's brilliant, like his tone and the way he conducts himself is great. So we're having this banter backwards and forwards. And in the end, he just went, all right, then, you, you go and play where you want. Go on. If you want to play up front, go and play up front. And I remember soon after I started playing as a 10, you know, going where I want. I could go on the left wing, I could go on the right wing. And I absolutely loved it. And I just put my hands up to the gaffer and went, yeah, you're right. Well, it's the dream position for any footballer. Go and do what you want. And you're arguing against it. I know, because I wanted to play up front and score goals. But he was totally right, you know. Uh, I absolutely loved it. Other teams started man marking us because they didn't know where I was going. We had York, say York, Dwight York, and Sabo Milosevic up front. And then I could be in midfield with more deeper with Andy Townsend, Ian Taylor, Mark, Mark Draper, who signed. It was, it was a dream. And as I said, every player who plays now in a fourth position wants to be a number 10. And I was. <laughs> but you, you scored know? a hat trick, didn't you, against Wimbledon? I think it was a 7 1 win, wasn't it, at Villa mm. Park? And they were. I can't believe that anyone turned over that Wimbledon team 7-1 because they were a pretty rough old team to play against at the time. Were you playing in a free role that day? No, I was playing up front with Dean or Dean Saunders. Because mm. I, I think it wasn't long after I'd signed. You know, as I said, and I struggled a bit. And that game probably, you know, gave us the confidence to, to crack on. But Wimbledon scored first. We won't get beat 1-0. And then, you know, we got the goals in the first half. You know, I got the hat-trick. Dino got a hat-trick as well. Uh, the funny story from that game is, uh, <laughs> I said, I kept saying Andy Townsend, Towner, Towner, just keep putting it down the side, keep putting it, because he's, a, you know what I mean, it's slower than a week in jail and all that. Go on, keep putting it down, having a laugh. And Vinny Jones come up to us and says, I can't swear on her, can I? But you can imagine what he said. He says, I'll break your legs. And I says, well, you've got to get close to us, Vinny, first, haven't you? You've got to catch us, you know what I mean? <laughs> so that was what I remember from that game. But after the game, obviously, Vinny's he's different class, you know what I mean? Everything was all right. But, uh, yeah, I think that uh, 
that helped us tremendously confidence wise and obviously the fans you paid a lot of money for us you know and it was two million and yeah. a million Charlesy when we came together so at the time it was a lot of money and they want they want to sit in the, if you're paying money that sort of money you want players who can actually play so mm. now he put a, he put a good side together hadn't he and you won the league cup in 1996 but I don't think you were particularly fit that day were you no injured we were flying you know we played we played Arsenal on the Wednesday, previous Wednesday night in the semi-final of the League Cup. 2-0 uh, down after 20 minutes, you know, Burkamp was causing absolute havoc. And we we got back in with Yorkie, was different class. We got the 2-2 draw and then on the Saturday we were playing Ipswich away in the FA Cup. And uh, I tore my thigh, you know, I was just sprinting through and my, my thigh just snapped. That was six weeks before the, the cup final. And I didn't know if it, whether I was going to be fit or not, Richard. That, you know, I was working every day trying to get fit. I trained actually the day before the game, my first proper training session. And the gaffer says, I'm putting you on the bench. It was three subs then. And I was like, wow. You know, I'm so like delighted. Uh, and the whole week up leading up to that was brilliant. And we absolutely, well, Obviously, a couple of our mates, uh, Ryan Dean and Rod Wallace, you know, were in the lead yeah. side, but they weren't playing. I think Howard had had a, I don't know what, he must have had a sleepless night because of God knows how them two weren't playing because they were the main focal point of the, of the Leeds team at the time. And we battered them. We battered them 3 yeah. Uh And the only thing I ever say to the gaffer now is, you know, I'm so grateful you put us on the bench, but I can't believe you never put us on. So... But even if you look at all the photos after the game, I've got a daft wig on, you know, a claret and blue wig, and uh, it was it was class, you know. Uh, we had a good team. We finished fourth and fifth in the league. Mm. We won the cup. The following week, we were in the semi-final against Liverpool. You know, we got beat three 0 then. Uh, semi-final of the FA Cup. So Villa was brilliant, absolutely. Yeah, and I was playing for a manager and staff in a club who were quality. What were the celebrations like then after the League Cup final? <laughs> Did you manage to celebrate or were you having to rein it in a little bit because you had more important games to come? I think the first part of the question is the one that is the answer, Richard. Uh, no, we, the club had, we got a hotel in London where we'd stay in and the club had paid for everything. Uh, I think we had the top floor all to ourselves. All our girlfriends, wives, kids were there families and friends it was absolutely it was class it was absolutely class so we all just stayed down after the game and yeah you go to bed at stupid o'clock everyone's out the tree you know what I mean it was uh, it was brilliant it was, it was it was a quality night and then we come back on uh, I think the game was on a Sunday was it so we come back on the Monday morning and then uh, the Nottingham contingent uh, just carried on, shall we say, on the Monday. What, did you find a local boozer? Just went into Nottingham, yeah. I'm going to name them because I'll get done as well. So there was me, Drapes, Gary Charles, Franz Carr, a couple of others as well. I think Tails might have come over here and Taylor uh, and just carried on on the Monday and then you're back into training on the Tuesday getting prepared for the weekend. You wouldn't do it now. No chance. 
You know, it's a diff- different eras, which are different eras. No camera phones. No camera phones. Yeah. Uh, Logger coming out with your lug holes. Uh, but we were young enough and fit enough, you know, we could run it off. You know, yeah. and, and that was that was the culture then. You know, the culture like people say because you play now, you know, because yeah, because you did that. Because the the players nowadays don't know any different. They only know about they can't drink and they won't drink and they can't go out and social media, camera phones. You know, so scrutinised nowadays. It's unbelievable. Mm. Yeah, it would have been a lot less fun, but then the rewards would be a lot better. So it's one of those. It's a, it's a difficult one, isn't it? It is, but you can't change the fact. You can't help the fact when you were born. You know, if I, I've done a Celtic Zoom like this for them a few weeks ago, and they said, "Would you change? Would you want to be playing now?" And I went, "Well, no. I had a great. We had a great time. Mm. You know, it was fantastic." And uh, they mentioned injuries and all that, which is a part parcel game. And, and later on in my career, I did have a lot of injuries, but overall. Wouldn't change a thing. No. And you scored on your last ever appearance for Villa. I think it was away to Blackburn. You'd just come yeah. on as sub. Did you know that it was going to be your last game? Uh, Derby had been in for us again. Uh, but no, I didn't know it was the last game. I, uh, I think we were poor that day and I'd come on and the gaffer just went, go on then. And then after that, it was uh, Celtic had made a bid. The gaffer, had, uh, the gaffer had rang us up actually at home and he said, I need to see you. And I thought, oh God, what have I done now? You know, it was about seven o'clock at night. I thought, bloody hell, gaffer. Uh, I'm thinking, it's been all right. He said, no, I need to see you. So I went down to his house. He lived about half an hour from us. And because of the relationship we had, he, uh, he just says, I've got to tell you. He said, Celtic have come in for you and made a bid and we've accepted it. But I'm telling you, because of our relationship and all that, now went sound. So we just sat talking for hours and hours. And I just, he says, well, I don't want you to go, but there's a new contract. If you want to stay, it's not a problem. If you want to go, not a problem as well. And I just says, gaffer, I'll, I'll just regret it for the rest of my life if I don't go. Mm. You know, it's what I said before, Richard, about being a stepping stone, you know, there was not County to Derby, Derby to Villa, and then Villa to Celtic. Not necessarily Celtic or a bigger club than Aston Villa, but I just felt supporters-wise, because it was, you know, 60,000 every week. Uh, I think there will be more Celtic fans or more around the world than Villa, but I just, you know, it was one of them. A little step. Playing in Europe, you're guaranteed to play in Europe every year as well. I had that at Villa. We had a taste of it. We played Helsingborg in the European in the UEFA Cup. So you got a taste of it, and I wanted more of it. And I just thought, if I don't, if I don't go and talk to them, I said I, I will regret it for the rest of my life. Mm. Yeah. So what was Glasgow life like? Was it easy oh, enough to awesome. settle? Bonkers. Yeah, I flew up. Uh, it took a while. I think they were sorting the fee out. So the gaffer says, well, you might as well just stay at home because you'll get the call anytime. I think I was home about three days and then I'm like, what's going on? You know, it took a while for the fee to get the fee sorted. Personal terms, as I mentioned before, that was a doddle. You know, that, was, that wasn't my wasn't my main aim. It was just a case of getting up there. Uh, 
Glasgow knew about the city, uh, class Glaswegians the same as Geordies, do you know what I mean? Got that same mentality and got up there and loved it. You know, I think I think the, you realise, you know, the rivalry up there between Celtic and Rangers. And then I think <laughs> I was driving through town, I was following Alan Stubbs and my window was down. It was actually sunny for, for half an hour. So I had my window down and I stopped at some traffic lights and then these two lads walked across the road and one of them stuck his head in and went, why don't you back to Villa in another couple of explicits? And I went, oh, welcome to Glasgow, is it? Thanks, lads. So you knew, you knew, you knew the rivalry was bad, but you didn't realise how intense it was. You know, part and parcel of going up the road was to play against Rangers and playing them games. Yeah. And you can't go in the wrong part of the city, though, can you? But you scored. Oh, oh, no. No. Well, we used to have to drive past the main Rangers bar to get to the ground, our old ground. Main Rangers bar is about 300, 400 yards from Celtic Park. And and when it's July the 12th and they've got the marchers on, you know, we're sat at the traffic lights waiting. And they're on green, but obviously all the marchers are coming past. We're like, aren't they? (laughs) You You got the old green tracksuit on. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> Pop in for a quick R. Oh, but you're right. Yeah, that's it's it's great, you know. And I know you scored on your full debut. I think it was a Scottish Cup game against Falkirk. But there were some top players at the time. Uh, there was a front three early on of Johnson, George Cadet, and Paolo Di Canio. I think that's always going to cause problems, isn't it, for any defence? But what was Paolo like? Oh, bonkers. Uh, trained unbelievable, you know, morning, noon, and night, passionate about the game, being an Italian, he has unbelievable skill. But for oh, he could mourn, he could mourn, yeah. I think that's been well documented since he became a manager. But he just wants to, wanted to be the best. Mm. What a signing by Tommy Burns, unbelievable, mm. unbelievable. Uh, well. And there was frictions going on, I think, you know, obviously myself and a few players had come in and I don't know if Paolo had been promised a new contract or something and it didn't materialise, stuff like that. So I only played with him for a short space of time before he went to Chef Wedding in the summer. Yeah, I think he refused to go on a pre-season tour to Holland. He couldn't get his yeah. wage rise that I think had been agreed. Yeah. But I think the club did seem to be in a little bit of turmoil at that time. Yeah. I didn't realise how much it was and because I made the biggest decision of my life by going there, which, you know, to this day, it's the best decision I've still made. Uh, three weeks later, the man who signed you, put faith in you, has, has left the club, Tommy Burns. Mm. You know, I remember sitting in the dressing room with Tommy. It was the same when I went to Villa with a gaffer and the same with Tommy. Uh, so I'd sat in, soon as I hadn't even signed, well, me and the gaffer were sat in the dressing room hours, it must have been three or four hours, two, three, four hours, just sat there talking football, the way he wanted to play and all that, where he wanted me involved. And I thought, I absolutely love this man. You know, so passionate about the game and loved it and knew so much, had so much knowledge. And I'm thinking, I can't wait. This is going to be brilliant. Do you know what I mean? I can't wait. And then three weeks later, he gets a sack. Yeah. And it's like, what? What have, I, what have I come into? Yeah. You know, and then you're it's, it's in the papers because there's only two teams you can discuss up there. It's Celtic and Turmoil. Rangers were flying. You know, they just won nine in a row. They're going for 10 in a row. 
mm. Celtic in turmoil, what's going on in the second best club in Scotland and all that. And I'm thinking, oh my, what bad done here? Mm. Being the professional like you are, you've just got to get on with it, Richard, you know, it's, a, it's your career. Yeah. And, but then there was the club was in turmoil, and not long afterwards, you're in turmoil really because you you're cursed by injuries. Was it the cruciate that was the worst one, and was that um, did that affect you long term? Because at that you know once your cruciate goes, you, you're struggling to get back to being a hundred percent what you were, aren't you? Difficult one, you know. Uh, Vim Janssen came in, and I never played. And who could you argue? Because we stopped ten in a row, you know. It's <laughs> like God. So, yeah, I, I don't mean a, you know, it was, at first it was a partial tear of the cruise ship, which they did not operate on. Uh, cartilage, I got ripped that, and Tommy Major as well. So this was in uh, February time, and they, uh, they didn't operate. They just thought, no, it could heal itself. So I come back pre-season, but I knew something wasn't right in it. So I'd done all pre-season, and then the first game in Holland, the whole, the whole lot went. I me right now and you actually do think is this it is that it uh, but no knuckled I had the operation it was fine you know I was back within from the cruciate I was back within five and a half months which is very very good you know they were, they were saying you should be like eight nine months and all that but I think I was back and, and it was me right now and it was it, it was stronger it was a lot stronger than what it was before. Wow. Whether that, because of the thigh injury as well, I'd had at Villa, you know, uh, when I tore my thigh, so I'd had to make it strong. It's knackered now, like, but at the time, it's, it, was, uh, it was strong. I come back and didn't feel any different, to be fair, Richard. You right. know, I, I still had my pace, you know, and yeah, everything good. Uh, we'd had a few managers, and I got back into the team, and then culminating in the, obviously the last season 2001 when we won the treble so mm. no uh, from the from day one the surgeon said and the physio was saying you can you'll be okay you know there were 10 a penny then in them days you know what I mean Richard there were there was new obviously the way that operated and you would come in the good old days appreciate would mean the end of your career mm. but obviously times had moved on and operations and screws whatever they were doing and no, it felt all right. And up until a couple of years ago, it was it was bang on. Yeah, there was no problem with it. What? And it's gone again now. Have you got to, had to have more surgery or? Yeah, well, I, I stopped uh, when I retired. I just kept running, didn't I? So I was on the hard road all the time. And obviously, it's just uh, the cartilage. I, 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 I ripped a bit of the cartilage again, so I got that operated on uh, a couple of years ago. But then it got infected, and then. Then I had a blood clot, so it was like I was in hospital for 10 days. I went, Good, I've only come in for, to get a tidy up. <laughs> but yeah, I lost a hell of a lot of muscle on it. But uh, as you do when you're our age now, you, you don't work at it, you know. You know, I could work at it, you know, I can, as long as I can play golf and go skiing, I'm not bothered, mate. You know what I mean? All right. No, you'll have to stick to yoga these days. I do a bit of yoga every morning just to get a bit of flexibility going. It's so I can get down the stairs. <laughs> uh, but you'd played under quite a few Celtic managers and then you really settled when Kenny Dalglish came in with Tommy Burns, your old mate, as his uh, yeah. number two when you scored in that League Cup final win over Aberdeen. Was that 
one of the most magical moments there, especially after your injury problems? Oh, definitely. Yeah, when Tommy come back in, it was brilliant. You know, uh, John Barnes had left the, left, the least said the better on that. But, well, why, uh, why did it not work for John? You tell me. <laughs> what, so, why, why do you think? Do you, do you just think personality-wise he's just not suited to being a manager? Mm, yes, correct. <laughs> <laughs> everyone says what a lovely bloke he is. I'm, I'm struggling. I used to, obviously used to play against him when he was at Liverpool and, you know, and when he came in. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to, I'll tell you why. We went pre-season tour. We play, we went to Norway and we were staying in the hotel and the food wasn't the best. So a few of us says, can we go out, can we go out and get some food? And he went, yeah, no problem. So we just went to this restaurant and we went, we weren't drinking, we didn't, you know what I mean? It was pre-season, we didn't. So I think at the end of the week, they'd say, like, you can go out as normal pre-season tours or do, all, do your work all week and then, yeah, and you can go out. So we went to this restaurant, about six or seven of us, had some to eat, and then John Barnes and his staff came in and he come over to our table and he said to me, he says, uh, oh, I'm a bit thirsty, can I, have a, can I have some of your drink? And I went, yeah, go on, crack on, it's only water. So I went, yeah, go on, no problem. Uh, took a drink and then, okay, see you later, lads. So Burley, Craig Burley sat next to us and Burles has gone, are you all right? I went, we are. Why? What's the matter? He went, he's testing your drink there. That's what he was doing. But the moment had gone, Richard, for me to go and say something, you know what I mean? I was just oblivious. I went, all right, of course you can have a drink. So Burles has gone, He's testing you. So from that moment on, the, I was seven, didn't trust him. It was unbelievable. And I, but I said the moment it had gone, only your, your manager come over and just test, you know. And it was like, and as I said, we'd done it at the right times. We wouldn't, it was probably the second day of pre-season, you know. You work hard all week pre-season. When you go away pre-season to us, I said we were in Norway. And then, and, and then they'd say at the end of the week, right, lads, home tomorrow. Just can go out tonight, have a few drinks and all that, and that's it. But just lost all total respect. Never had the dressing room. And, well, no, say no more about his... Uh, so so was, was, it, was it a divided dressing room then, or was it literally everyone was against him from that point because it was the players who were sticking together? Well, we were, the, the six or seven of us couldn't believe it. Do you know what I mean? And to be fair, he started off really well. He wanted to play this formation, which was a 4-2-2-2 with Lubo Maracek and Ayel Berkovic. Went up to Aberdeen and absolutely battered him the first game. But I think we just got found out and I didn't, he probably didn't realise how big a, big a job it was. Mm. Kenny was in as technical director. And the last, and when we got beat off in Vaness, probably the headlines, wasn't it? In Venice, go ballistic, Celtic are atrocious. Everybody remembers it. No, it was Cali, yeah, super Cali, go yeah. ballistic, Celtic are atrocious. Yeah. So the next morning, we're sat in the green room where he went in before training, had a cup of tea and pool and made the papers or whatever. So he's come in and gone round everyone, say, Henry, good luck, Henry, thanks a lot, Alan Stubbs, Stubbs each year's. And then he come to me and he went, I thought you would have been gone before me. So, 
and I hadn't done anything wrong, you know what I mean? I never played anyway. I went on loan to Everton, come back. I played the first pre-season game in Norway and that was it for him. And then that was what he said. He says, I thought you would have uh, been gone before me. And I just went, the second word was off. And then I said, go on, see you later. And I said, in fact, I'm just going upstairs now to sign a new contract. Go on, off. And that was it. That's so bizarre. So... Do you think someone had just marked his card about you before no, no, you arrived no. at the club? Or? Not a clue. Don't know. I played the first half a game, Norway, which is normal. You normally play two teams for your first couple of games, you know, 45 minutes each. And that was it. Wasn't involved at all. And then, as I said, went on loan. I think it was after pre-season, I went and seen him and says, what's going on? I think... I, and I, I actually thought, I, I think I said, I think it's better if I leave. And he went, yeah, and that was it. And that and then, was the extent of the conversation? That was it. And then I went to Everton. And then when I come back from Everton, we had a League Cup game on the night. But the papers hadn't, the paper hadn't been finalised, you know, for cross-border uh, registration. And so when I come back from Everton, he says, uh, do you want to be involved tonight? I went, of course I do. Of course, I want to be involved, but then you couldn't. The registration wasn't happening. Couldn't get it in time. Right. So it was a new lease of life for you under Kenny Dalglish and, and oh, Tommy yeah. Burns and things. Oh, brilliant! Yeah. Gaffer come back in and says, "Right, what's what's been going on?" I'm Gaffer. Don't know. He says, "Right, you fit?" I says, "Yeah, I'm. So I'm raring. Okay then." And that was it. Yeah. Back in the team, as you said. <laughs> but in the cup final, brilliant. Have you ever come across John Barnes again? No. No. No, I no, just wonder, it's strange, you know, some, like I, I spoke to Danny Murphy and him and Alan Kirbisley had a fallout and then, you know, they're absolutely fine working in the media now. And I, I thought with football being such a small world, you might have, you might have seen him. It just seems... seems yeah, I had, a, I had a fallout with, the, with Neil Warnock when I left to go to Derby, but we're like that. Yeah. But no, I haven't seen him and... Yeah. Well, wouldn't really want to. <laughs> so you weren't he cheering him up. He probably doesn't want to see me, Richard. <laughs> got enough on his plate, I would imagine. But well, what you try to insinuate how big he is these days? Oh no, no, not. <laughs> I am joking. Sorry. <laughs> uh, you, you scored a couple of hat tricks, didn't you, in the final months of that season? And then Martin O'Neill took over. What was he like to play for? Oh, brilliant! In my personal opinion, you've got different ends of the spectrum. Gaffer had come in, done really well at, at Leicester, just had respect as soon as he walked into the dressing room. Oh, brilliant. Got the staff in who we trusted, Steve Walford, John Robertson, who were absolutely class. You know, yeah, they had different qualities about them, all three of them. And absolute pleasure to work with them. It was from day one, you knew where you stood. You know, I think... Chris Sutton came in, he signed Chris Sutton straight away, then Alan Thompson, he brought Neil Lennon in, Muse, Valgaran, you know, and brought in players who just enhanced the squad that we we had. Mm. And Rangers were, you know, Rangers were favoured to win the league that year, you know, and we, got in, and we swept a lot. He just gave us so much belief that we were invincible. Mm. We were going to win all the time. And, and I knew I wasn't going to be playing because of Henrik and Chris Sutton. And if them two were fit, 
they they would be playing. But Sutty got injured quite a bit in that first season. I played played a lot of games and oh, it was brilliant that season with Gordon Bennett. You know, for after after all had gone on before injuries, managers, whatever, going out on loan, Everton coming back, not you know being probably classed as a failure. But that season just turned everything around. Totally, yeah. And was Martin O'Neill really hands-on at that time? From what people tell me, he's not necessarily a coach. He leaves that to your Steve Walfords and John Robertsons. But I think later in his career, people would say that he would tell his players, if you win on Saturday, you can have a few days off. Yeah. But I don't, I don't think that was the atmosphere and the environment at that time, straight away, was it at Celtic when he came in? He came in, obviously, uh, during pre-season. Uh, or at the start of pre-season so we knew we just stamped his authority and yeah if we were winning games and all that you'd get your rewards you know and rewards was you'd get your days off mm. you know he'd go and say right go on and if you win today we haven't got we're not playing if say we're playing on the Saturday but then we weren't playing to the following Sunday he would say right win today I'll see you Wednesday or something like that you know which you know I would I would Imagine Neil Warnock does the same now, and the, and the older statesmen, shall I say, managers probably still. But I think Pep might that might be his for their players' motivation. You know, Man City because they're in so much money. We're not going to give it. Oh, there's five hundred quid bonus for winning the day. Not that you're allowed to do it, but I think that right, you win the day, lads. We'll see you. Say Monday, Tuesday. I know it's totally different now with the sports science. You know, every we were in the day after games, but say if we came in on a Sunday after Saturday game, he'd say, "Okay, then, right, you can have Monday, Tuesday off." So that would be an incentive nowadays, I would have said. But the gaffer was just—he's my management was brilliant. He knew when to bat you, and he knew when to love you. He just had this. And the thing with the gaffer is, we'd all be as soon as he walked in, he'd always. He always knew he'd have a go at someone just to keep him on the toes. Right. He had a knack, and he had a, such a knack of doing it and making you feel 100 foot tall. Mm. We were playing Dundee the Wednesday before we won the league on the Saturday against St. Moon on the Wednesday night. So obviously, gaffers went tonight. You know, on Saturday, you know, and you're going for the league and all that. No one expected you. Come on, just just get over that line. So I was playing, so he was injured. So I'd scored. We win him one nil at half time, but I, I I was having an absolute shocker. I was oh touch touch was gone. Well it wasn't I didn't have the best touch anyway, but I was going to feet when I was going behind, vice versa. You know, I wasn't bringing people into play, shant and stuff, I'd a couple of chances, but then scored. So win him one nil, so we'll come in and I'm thinking it's my it's me, it's me tonight. So the gaffer's coming. Tommy Powell. Sorry, gaffer. I know. Tommy, I'm I'm sorry, gaffer. I'm sorry. He goes, will you shut up? And then he's uh, he's gone in with, he says, you're doing this, you're not doing that. You know, you're making the wrong runs. And I'm going, oh, God, I know, I know. And then at the end, he just went, doesn't matter. I went, why? He went, because you've scored, haven't you? So he's, he goes out the dressing room then. So he's made, he's had a pop at you, but makes you like feel great. And then, and he always used to come in about a couple of minutes before we're going back out for the second half. So he comes back in and he's going, right, come on, lads. 
right? Get through tonight, doesn't matter how. And then on Saturday, you can have the greatest, because we'll, he says you'll win on Saturday. You know what I mean? He says you'll, you'll win Saturday. Home to St. Merrin, no disrespect to St. Merrin, but he said, so come on, just get through tonight. So Dundee equalised second half and then big you on me, I'll be scored within the last 10 minutes to go. So the dressing room afters, you know, we're bouncing. But it's, it was the Gaffer's team tour. Mm. He's going, right, enjoy tonight. Don't go mad and all that. Get your mind on Saturday because you could yeah. win the league Saturday. And how big a day was that for you? Because you scored oh. the league title winner against St Mirren. Terrible first touch, by the way, Tommy. Well, yeah, <laughs> definitely. It was horrendous, wasn't it? God, you know, everyone's there, family and friends. You know, it was 12 o'clock kickoff or half 12 on Saturday afternoon. It was absolutely scorching. Not great for me. We were battering St Mirren. You know what I mean? We've God, I was missing chances. The lads were missing chances. We just couldn't score. And then, as you said, Henrik's, Tom was gone down the left, passed it to Henrik. But that was me, I'm shooting. I'm sorry, Henrik, you know what I mean? Well, that's the way I was. Henrik, stone selfish, brilliant player, just slid it to us. And it's rolled under me foot on it. And I'm like, and you can hear the crowd ready to go, go crackers. Unfortunately for me, I've just, it's come onto my right foot and I've, I've got it under the keeper. And I think there was a lad on the lane who was trying to, and it's, and he's, and it's gone under the bar and it's gone in. And then the celebrations. Oh, because you know then would that's it. Once we'd scored the first goal, that was it. And the thing for me was I didn't want anyone else to score, Richard, you know. <laughs> I was like, please don't score. Go on. And we had loads of chances. I think St. Mirren had a right goal second half, if I remember, and had a couple of chances themselves, but we got it over the line and you know, for all the, the euphoria, it was absolutely class. And, Everything that had gone on the previous four years had just gone out the window. Yeah. That was the second part of the treble, and then we won the, the Scottish Cup as well to make it the treble. Yeah. But, and it was a hell of a day, wasn't it? Because you won the Grand National Sweepstake, didn't you, with Red Marauder of all nags? I did, 33 to 1. I still, I'm not a gambler, but it was just we had the sweepstake and then we had a bet on it. So we were all watching that after the game. We were still. The ground till God knows, we're still in our kit. So we're all in the green room again, watching the Grand National, and the, and the fans are still outside. But we obviously we were watching that. So I won that, and then on the night, unbeknown to us that we were going to win the league that day, we'd all decide. All the lads had decided to do supporters do around the country. Mate, so me and Neil Lennon were down in deepest Asia, you know, about an hour, an hour and a half away. So someone had took us down, and obviously it's crazy. And we'd all said, we'll do what our supporters do and then meet in town after. So you can imagine what it was like after that. We're winning the league, you know what I mean? It was absolutely bonkers. Uh, so were you basically on the lash for a week? Yeah, aye, basically. On the Sunday, it was even better because we had our core group where we used to go on. But I think a lot of us went out on the Sunday. Lenny, Stubbsy, there was Lords, Morton, Gouldie. Oh. And then... Neil Lennon's dad come out. It was only about five foot five, you know what I mean? So my last memory of that Sunday was was uh, Stubbsy having Lenny's dad's jacket on and the cuffs were all probably halfway up his arms. So he was wearing his jacket all day. It was hilarious. And then they took us to Marbella. You know, that was before one of the games against Dundee and we got beat. <laughs> you know, 
I think we'd been away for a few days and then we'd come back and got beat off Dundee 2-0. But uh, to top it all off, you know, it was fantastic. It was uh, unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, brilliant time. So why, why didn't you sign a new deal then? I just wanted to play football regularly, yeah. Richard. You know, the, I always knew Sutty and uh, Henrik were going to be playing. John Hartson had just signed. I'd done pre-season. Uh, and the gaffer had offered us a new contract. And he says, you can leave whenever you want. You know, it was one of them. He says, I, he says I'm just being honest with you. I says, I know, gaffer. Not a problem, but I couldn't have topped what I'd done, Richard. And, and, I, and I just wanted to play regular. You know, I just didn't want to sit on my backside and picking up my money. And, you know, I still felt I had a bit to offer. And, and John Robertson always says to it, he says, me and the gaffer, you know, he just would just give you so much respect because that's what you wanted to do. You could have, you could have just sat there and had an easy life. But I didn't want that. I wanted to play. I was 30. Yeah. So... So, but then was Sheffield Wednesday and Kilmarnock mistakes then? Chef Wed was probably, yeah. Kilmarnock, no. We know we just had our young'un. Uh, so, Page, what was Page? Two. Chef Wed had come down for three months. Yeah, the two, club was in a bit of turmoil. You know, I played the first few games and got injured. And then Bobby Williamson at Kilmarnock rang us up and says, what are you doing? I says, well, I, says, I still want to play, you know what I mean? I had a couple of more offers. Kilmarnock was, I lived in between Kilmarnock and Glasgow. I thought, you know, from, Jan, from just after Christmas till the end of the season, I can, I can play, I can live at home. You know, you know, I knew a few of the lads there. I just thought, yeah, I just wanted to enjoy my football again, Richard. And I absolutely loved it. It was brilliant. Yeah. You know, I got playing, I was scoring goals. You know, I was... I'm just enjoying football again. You know, I loved it. So why then up sticks and go all the way to Gillingham? You couldn't have gone much further and stayed in the UK. Oh, I know. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'd finished at Kilmarnock. The TV money had ran out and all that, and they couldn't offer us a decent contract. Bobby had left and gone to Hibs. Thought there may be a chance of going there. And then Gillingham came in, who were in the championship at the time. And I went down, seen the gaffer. And it was a trek and a half, by the way. Dear me. Uh, I didn't realise how far it was. But sport to the gaffer. And it was one of them again, you know. Uh, just enjoying football, Richard. You and know, you had a couple of decent seasons there, didn't you? Yeah, I, I knew I wasn't going to, you know, back in the Premier League. You know, I was 31. You know, uh, get, I'd have two or three years more left in my career. I just want to enjoy it. Mm. Uh, so we went down, we'd had our second child, another daughter, and the Garden of England. Oh, what a lovely place. Mm. Absolutely gorgeous. Loved, should have stayed there, you know, when I retired. Not one of the better decisions, but, you know, we should have stayed there after. And Gillian was a little family. It was like Notts County. It's a family club. Owner, Paul Scully, whatever you say about him, he's a bit eccentric at times, but, you know, his heart's in the right place. But I just started getting more muscle injuries and mm. things like that, Richard, you know, and it was taking longer to come back. Yeah. Uh, but I loved it, you know, we'd be charting in the FA Cup, I scored, things like that, you know, and, and we finished, I think it was ninth or 10th in the championship, yeah. which is the hardest position I've ever been, you know. Obviously the injuries took the toll, but, you know, I, and I could have played a lot more games, but 
yeah, I loved it, you know, yeah. enjoying football again. I wasn't going to win trophies and all that again. I'd done all that, you know, I'd played in the Premier League, I'd played at Wembley, I'd won cups and trebles at Celtic, you know, and it, it was just a case of enjoying football. Yeah. And that's uh, it. But then Andy Heseltaler left, didn't he? Did it feel like the club was kind of on the slide? Because Stan Turnant came in, and I think Stan Turnant and Neil Warnock absolutely despised each other. I think they had fisticuffs, didn't they, at one point? And you were obviously one of Neil Warnock's boys. What was Stan Turnant like? He was probably, yeah, he's old school, without a shadow of a doubt. And uh, in the end, we didn't get on. Right. No, and I left. Mm. <laughs> <more> Richard. <laughs> There's no John Barnes type stories there, is there? Not really. No, it was just in school. I don't know. Yeah. Well, could handle all the experienced players because you and Roberts was there. You know, a couple of others, but no, nah, there's there's no ill feeling. No, mm. so there's, no, there's no ill feeling with John Barnes. You know, he felt what he was doing at the time was right, but there was just no explanation to what he was doing. Mm. You know, and, and and if I'd done the same, well, I wouldn't do the same in the first place. But you, how how would you expect to be treated if you do things like that? Mm. I mind what it is treat people how you would want expect to be treated yourself. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember your last game of professional football, February 2006, a 2-2 draw against Swansea for Scunthorpe at Glamford Park? That's brilliant, that, Richard. <laughs> so you don't remember it then? No. <laughs> you, partnered, you partnered a certain Billy Sharp. Did you think he'd go all the way to the Premier League? Yeah, definitely, I Sharpie had that natural course. I'm going to check that as well. <laughs> so you're probably all right, because I know how diligent you are. But no. That is it. That's good. I like that. So it was against Swansea, was it? Scunthorpe. Yeah, Sharpie, yeah, you knew. Yeah, instinct, you know. Oh, goal scorer, half a chance. And Andy Keogh was there as well. Mm. All from Leeds and went on to have a great career as well. Uh, that was a case of, as I said, last year of my career, I knew I was 35, 30, you know, when I signed for Scunthorpe. Uh, just a year, as I said, just enjoying football. Didn't work out that that case when Mr. Laws was in charge, but must be me, Richard, is it? God, some managers didn't play us and all that, but so you fell out with Brian Laws as well, did you? We had a little tete a tete a couple of times, but yeah, that's football, isn't it, Richard? <laughs> <laughs> because I was old, you know, I just wanted to enjoy it, and I wasn't, didn't enjoy it. You didn't uh, enjoy what the way he was playing or asking you to play. No, well, I didn't play. <laughs> so I was told I was playing one game, and then when they named the team, I wasn't in it. So, so what what is that all about then? I mean, that's disrespectful to any player, but particularly someone who's thirty-five. Yeah, I was told I was going to be. Play. He said, "Are you? You'd be all right because pride. I'm going to play." And then named the team, and I wasn't playing. So yeah, yeah, that was that's what you just hit the nail on the head there. Just tell us, come and tell us. So what did you say? Him. What what did you say to him after? Did you take him to one side? Oh yeah, well, I couldn't. Yeah, we can't repeat it on here. Hmm. It's just I'm, I'm 35. You're right, experienced. Don't need all you do that to someone who's a kid. Hmm. You know, but uh, no, I've seen Brian since then. No problem. I'm one of them. It, it doesn't matter if anything's happened in the past. Doesn't matter to us. It's it's happened and it's happened for a reason. But I've got no ill feeling towards anyone. You know, 
as I said, if I say old managers, good and bad, I'll, I'll say hello to them. It's not a problem. Well, football is a small world and you're going around, you're looking at players all the time and you've talked about, you know, your journey in recruitment and scouting and even being a kit man back in the day. Um, last year, it looked like you might be going with Henrik Larsson to be his number two at South End. So why did that not materialise? It's kind of been suggested that it was your fault why he didn't end up taking the job. Well, it's first and foremost, I've never heard of a manager not getting a job because the head of recruitment said no. So I was in a bit of tizzy after that. And then someone who I trust really well said, you must be good at your job, you. And I went, I never thought of it like that. So I started laughing. Yeah, it was all done and dusted, Richard. Uh, spoke to Henrik a lot, even without, before the South End. And you on me, I'll be here, who's going to take... And he just rang us up. He says, "I've got." He says, "I've got an interview about with Southend. Would you?" He says, "I want to bring your your hand, but would you be interested?" And I went, "Yes, definitely." Uh, I went down and met the owner, and yeah, things were sorted. And then lastminute.com, I got a phone call from Blackpool. Uh, ben Mansford, the chief exec, who's there now, and uh, he says, "Will you come and meet me?" Uh, I says I'm just I'm going to South End. He says, "Well, I appreciate that, but he says, can I have a chat and all that." I went, "Okay, no problem." I hadn't signed the contract. I was waiting for the contract to come through from South End. So, you know, that doesn't get told, does it? And all that. That's you know, it was just a case of oh, I've turned them down. You've turned Henrik down. You've turned Johan down. But there's there's a lot more to it. So I met Ben, and he was telling us what they were doing with the club. There's a new owner. So. It was a decision to be made and I thought about it. You know, I didn't have long because I was going down to South End on the Tuesday and I think this was the Sunday night. So I rang, I rang Henry on the Monday, thought about it and thought, no, I'm, I'm going to go to Blackpool. You know, I felt it felt right for me. So I spoke to Henrik, obviously not too happy. Uh, spoke to Johan, he was right as rain. That's football, Tommy and all that. Uh, so the next thing, Ron Martin, the South End chairman, rang us up. I rang him as well to explain why. And he says, there was no problem. He says, okay. He says, can I, is it, is it, what is it? Is it, is it money? I went, no, no, not at all. Is it what the, the family life? You can have more time with home. I says, no, that's not a problem. Uh, okay. He says, leave it with us. He says, you're the cog in all this. You're, you're, you're the, going to gel everything together. I went, he said, I'll send you an email by the end of today. I says, Mr. Martin, not a problem. You send me an email, I'll reply. But I've more or less made my decision, but thank you and all that. He went, okay, then no problem. So next minute, I'm playing golf, Mark Draper and a couple of my mates, and I come into the clubhouse, and it's all over Sky News. Henrik Lawson's not getting the job. Southend have turned him down, and... Uh, Tommy Johnson is because of me. So the lads are laughing their head off going, you know, look what you've done to Henrik and all that. And then next thing I know, Ron Martin's on the TV, absolutely lambasting me saying, you know, because of Tommy, Henrik's not getting the job. And I'm thinking, it, an hour, four hours ago, he's just said, I'll be in touch with you, more or less to offer us something else. You know what I mean? I don't know. So he's obviously spoke to his lawyer and he's gone turn it around this way. And then the next day I, I heard that he was on Talk Sport 
absolutely going bananas again about me, about me. So, but that was the story. I just felt it happens all the time in football. Yeah, I was disappointed that I'm not be working with Henrik and and Johan. But I dare anybody to say now, Richard, I've made the wrong decision. Anybody. Well, I was going to say that. Do you think you may have uh, dodged a bullet or two there with what happened to Southend this season? You're not the first person. I wish I had wrote down everybody who's actually said that statement. Dodged a bullet to me personally. Because I know I've made the right decision. Yeah. Southend didn't sign a player in January and let about a dozen go. Got relegated, didn't play the players on time, didn't play the staff on time, got points deduction and got relegated. Unless you're, less, everyone, especially Celtic fans, but you could work with Henrik. I know that. I totally get that. And I wanted to work with Henrik and Johan. But for once, I actually thought of myself. And then when the Blackpool offer came in, you know, it was like, and it's not about money or anything. I'm, I was earning, I'm earning less at Blackpool what Southend offered. So it wasn't about that. It was about me and the two clubs and which way the clubs were going. And as I've said, go on, you, anybody can say I've made the wrong decision. Not, no chance. I know I haven't. Your gut feeling has done you a massive favour there. You were also wanted by Neil Lennon at Celtic in a player recruitment role, weren't you, last year? Why didn't you fancy a return to your old manor? Oh, you're putting the questions out. Did I actually, has it been actually mentioned that I got offered a job? No. Because I didn't get offered a job. I... Spoke to Neil, yes, a few times. I also spoke to Peter Lawwell, and it didn't materialise yet. Yeah. Have you got a dream? I'm gutted about it, yeah. Yeah. Which I was at the time. I was absolutely, yeah. Have you got a dream job in mind uh, in terms of player recruitment roles, or is it just a case of just seeing where the journey takes you? It's very difficult in football, Richard. You know, new managers come in, new owners come in, new chief execs come in and you know football changes all the time uh, I love recruitment you know it, you can manage your own time at times you know you know something's happening with the kids or whatever you need to do or you need to do something you can manage that it's, I've seen coaching well I had a spell with David Dunn when Dunning was caretaker for Blackpool when Simon Grayson left so I was helping him out so that was more like an assistant manager's role hmm. for four or five weeks and loved it. You know, I was about to get the boots out of the box and all that. I was back on the training pitch, I was coaching, involved, getting to know the players better and all that. But I love recruitment. I just love it. And that's not to say would I ever go back not being coaching again. No, not at all. He's mentioned I've got all my badges. Uh, but no, um, you know, I'm enjoying Blackpool. We've got a great owner. You know, he wants to do things. We've shown that during lockdown. We're signing players during lockdown where hardly any other clubs are. Mm. You know, we've got a great manager, we've got a great chief exec, great staff. You know, I've got staff under us and one of the best recruitments, recruitment uh, sides in League One. Mm. You can see what the clubs wanted to do now because they've been in the doldrums for years with what happened with the previous owners and that. You know, the, the fans are just... You know, I think the first game when Simon took over, the owner, you know, it was everybody had come back. And you can see that the club's just geared, 
you know, hopefully for success. And it's great to be part of it, to be honest. But, but they, they going back to your question, but what is your dream job? I wouldn't say there's a dream job, but if someone comes headhunting, yeah, shall we say, or, you know, and, and, and it's something which is, you find attractive or what? I don't know. Yeah. You know, is it something abroad? You know, I love, you know, I love traveling. You know, when I was European scout, it didn't bother me going to Spain for every weekend, coming back and then going the following weekend or going off to France or Sweden or whatever. Mm. But who knows? You take each day as it comes. Yeah. We'll be having this conversation, this interview. I might get the sack tomorrow, but that's football. Yeah. What, can, what can you do about it? But no, I'm, lo- I'm loving my job at the minute. It's a great club to work for. Uh, but as for the future, who knows? You know, I've got all the qualifications, you know, I've done all the talent ID courses a lot. So it's got to be right for me. It's got to be right for my family. Uh, who knows? Yeah. And just finally then, Tommy, for younger listeners who may not have seen you in your prime, is there a current player, current Premier League player that you can liken yourself to? Damn me. God, no. <laughs> what I'd say to youngins is I wasn't the I wasn't blessed with skill and all that. You know, what I mean, technically, no, but just attitude and hard work. That was it from an early age. You've got to have that steelness about you to make it first and foremost. You know, because lot everybody wants to be a footballer. Well, most people, most kids want to be a footballer, especially in our day. But I think it was just that steeliness and attitude and hard work. I get you to because a lot of players have got all the technical ability and skill but have not made it for one reason or another but you've got to question their attitude at some stage so if you if you're hard work and got a good attitude and listen to your elders and listen to your coaches you know respect your elders you know uh, people say society's different now kids are now with kids are different nowadays but I've We've changed, we've made them what they are, Richard. You know, with the the adults have made the kids what they are. And I know, and everyone goes on about like the social media, but that, that you've got to adapt. We've all got to adapt to it. You know, I'm not into social media; it doesn't float my boat whatsoever. But I know the benefits of it. But yeah. have we made kids what they are today. Yes, we have. Yeah. And it's all well and good saying society's changed, but we've made them what they are to Exactly. Exactly. Now, that's a nice way to end it, Tommy. Thank you ever so much for your time, as always. Richard, been an absolute pleasure revisiting a few of my highs and lows. <laughs> you lows as well. You managers as well. <laughs> I didn't know I was hearing it so much by a few of them. <laughs> all right, Tommy, all the best, mate. Thanks ever so much. Cheers, Richard. Top man. chat to Tommy I hope you enjoyed his recollections some really interesting insights there into that Celtic dressing room as well particularly during the John Barnes era I've never met John but most people I've spoken to who know him well say wonderful things about him and I think myself and football fans in general really wanted to see him succeed in management first at Celtic and then at Tranmere Rovers but sadly it wasn't to be any comments then please get involved on Twitter by at Richard Lenton that's at Richard Lenton Please subscribe, of course, wherever you get your podcasts. And I know I keep reiterating this, but those five-star reviews on iTunes 
uh, very, very helpful in terms of new listeners being able to find us. So if you can take the time, that would be hugely appreciated. I'll see you next Monday. Footballers' Lives was brought to you by the Phoenix Sport and Media Group, www.psm-group.co.uk.